Welcome to Good People, Cool Things, the podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. When Omar Mo was just 18 years old, he had no idea what he wanted to do in life. He was thrown into school without a clear sense of direction because, you know, most of us don't know what we're doing when we're only 18 years old. But less than 10 years later, Omar has built up several income streams through freelancing, investing, and online businesses. And today, he's the founder of Nomadables and the host of the Nomadic Executive Podcast. He helps online entrepreneurs that want to escape the daily grind of a nine-to-five job and live a life of freedom and purpose centered around health, wealth, and wisdom. Omar uses life lessons he's learned from his own experiences, but he's also chatted to all kinds of experts from across the world, and he's sharing some fantastic knowledge in this episode. We're covering the power of repurposing content, why it's important to have processes in your business and how to set those up, and some of our favorite travel destinations. This episode of Good People, Cool Things is presented by Fiverr, the place to go for all kinds of creative freelancers. Find your next logo, design, video, article, book cover, whatever you need, created by super impressive people from all over the world. Get started for as little as $5 at fiverr.com. Or if you'd like to support the show, head over to the Good People, Cool Things merch shop, which you can visit right here on the goodpeoplecoolthings.com site, if that's how you're listening to the podcast. If you're listening on your phone, just head over to goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Pick up shirts, hoodies, hats, mugs. I'm drinking out of my If Only This Were Wine mug as I'm recording this. It's not wine. I know. If only it were. Make everything much better. Your support helps keep this show going strong. For now, let's hop into our conversation with Omar. Just a quick overview. If people don't know who Omar Mo is, give us your elevator pitch, but I'd also like to hear the elevator we're on while you're giving this pitch. The elevator we're on. <laughs> so you, should I turn on some elevator music on my phone? If, you, if you'd if you like, yeah. I'd love the atmosphere. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, let's see what I got here. You know, I, I actually like, something weird about me is I like to listen to a lot of classical music. Only when I'm working, though. Um, it is good working music. It is. Oh, here, here's something that I like. It's a, it's a pretty intense elevator, I think. <laughs> uh, my name is Omar. I have been a digital nomad for nearly three years. I run my own podcasting agency, and I have my own podcast called The Nomadic Executive. I love all things travel, all things marketing, and digital entrepreneurship. I love the freedom of being able to work from your laptop from anywhere in the world. And because of that, I've dived really, really deep into that entire space and built my own business from it. Um, And that's what I'm all about now. And and my future plans are to travel the world for the next seven to eight years, working off my laptop, visiting places and having experiences because there's nothing that gets me going more than a really spontaneous adventure or an experience whether good or bad to be honest uh, that's just different than your average day-to-day life love it and the the first one with uh with elevator music so thank you for there you go that that extra atmosphere there definitely (laughs) want to get into some of that traveling but first you mentioned a podcasting agency which i mean we've we've talked about how podcasting in general is still a pretty new thing now there's full agencies for podcasts. How did you decide that this this was the way to go? 
Well, I didn't want to go in a fully saturated place, right? And before I had even started my agency, I started my podcast. And I knew it was an un- like relatively, not new medium, but relatively underutilized medium. So I think the first podcast came out somewhere around the 2000s. I remember listening to a Jordan Harbinger, Harbinger show where he was talking about um, how the first podcast used to just be text directories and you'd have to know the specific exact name of the podcast before you could even find it. And there were like maybe eight different shows under the entrepreneurship category, which is interesting um, to what it is to evolve now, but still very underutilized because the number of podcasts out there just reached a million versus like YouTube channels, which is like somewhere around 37 mil now. So I knew it was an underutilized medium and I knew the power that it had behind not only um, converting clients, but through networking, through um, engagement, through the type of very, uh, super fan audience that you tend to get whenever they listen to your podcast. Like there's so much potential there that was underutilized for businesses and businesses, a lot of businesses out there, their entire, they focus on their business, right? They're never focused on their digital marketing strategy and everyone, a lot of businesses, especially if they've never done any sort of digital marketing before tend to think that, Oh yeah, I post some content on social media and I'll get some traffic on my, on my, for my business. And that's how I'll, gain clients, you know, and it never works that way because there's no funnel behind it. So I realized how great a podcast was for up to middle funnel because it's your own show and the listeners that you get are your warmest leads. And the people that you bring onto the show are people that you can even convert to clients, which has happened to me and happened on my show a few times. So I realized the power behind that, that it can be a pretty big marketing driving force for certain types of businesses. And for what I saw was B2B and SaaS companies. Those two do really well with it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to fill this need. But before I did that, I found I did some competitor research. And of course, there's already people out there doing it. But they did it in a very... Um, in a scaled sense where I was just starting off, right? And it did a more personalized way. And I added the whole content repurposing to it and a social media scheduling. I added a little few, a few different things to it where I also helped them build their funnel between the podcast, the social media and their email list and their, and the groups. So I added a little bit of services in that space. And that's, that's really when it started going off. You know, so that's what it is now. A lot of cold outreach that my business was born. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I want to talk a little bit about the content repurposing element of this, because I think so many people and and companies too, they start a podcast and their way of promoting it is dropping a link, maybe telling people to subscribe, leave a rating, and that's it. It's just like, here's the link, post on social media, send an email out, that's it. But there's so much more you can do with your content promotion. So how, or with your podcast promotion, I should say. So what kind of repurposing have you seen work best or that you recommend businesses try? So content repurposing, you can create content for literally any platform, even TikTok and Snapchat and those kind of platforms that you think will you would be able to make content from a podcast, but you can, you can repurpose the audio video from your podcast and put it natively on these like seven, eight main social media platforms. Pinterest, I think is the one possibly that I'm still experimenting with. Um, so trying to figure that out, but I know it's possible because you can make graphics and visuals through it. Um, so what it helps with is one, the organic reach that you can get from platforms will drive 
an initial spike of influx of listeners if they're interested enough in your content, right? But what I've also realized is with podcasts, the listeners tend to be people that are already listening to podcasts, right? Like 98% of your audience, 95% of your audience be other podcast listeners that have subscribed to other podcasts already, right? So the key is targeting people that are already listening to podcasts. Now, through Instagram, you can do this with hashtags, certain hashtags. With TikTok, you can do that with, um, I mean, you can literally make the algorithm go in your favor of targeting podcast listeners so that if there's always podcasts on your feed and you're targeting podcast listeners. Um, through through different mediums, you can, uh, through Facebook groups, for example, you can go into Facebook groups that are podcast centric where podcast listeners hang out and post it on there. You know, so the way that I'm content repurposing is that I'm creating the content from that audio and video. And that is like I, a key statistic that I like to say is that you can keep about or create about 15 pieces of content per audio hour. So the way we do that, if we find, and I'm going to run my process here first. Okay. The process is finding 15 pieces of golden nuggets in that podcast, uh, cutting them out, and then taking the content from it, whether it was words, whether it's in video clip form, whether it's an audiogram, whether it's some sort of conceptual graphic, whether it's a meme, taking the information from that podcast and making it into content, right? Where a lot of people are always stuck on making content is not the design process of it. It's actually trying to come up with the information about something that hasn't already been set on the internet and stuff. And yeah, I can go on Google search and probably copy a blog post and just convert that into content as well, right? That's possible. But um, this way, it's your own information, your own voice behind it. Like if you go down my Instagram, you'll see video clips of my face of me saying something that that was profound in that episode or my aud- or my guest saying something that was profound in that episode. Um, so that that's the way that I use content repurposing. And then I make sure it gets in front of the eyeballs of 95% of podcast listeners. And then the 5% maybe that want to convert uh, to podcast listeners, maybe down the road or something, because we are moving more towards audio dominant medium. So um that would do want to listen to podcasts. Uh, That's where I'll repurpose the content and put it natively on, on my own Facebook group or, or Instagram or TikTok or wherever and see what I can get there. So that's what I do for content repurposing. Do you, we're getting a little future thinking here, but do you see either this year or in the coming years, is there a platform that you want to experiment more on, or is there a type of platform you'd like to see that you think would be really valuable for repurposing that content? Something that I've been talking about, right? It's clubhouse and you can't repurpose content for clubhouse because it's a live audio platform. It's almost like podcasting, almost live audio. You can't, you're not posting content or anything just your own voice, but something that I find useful in clubhouse is they're going to add a recording feature to it. And uh, it's funny, they have these town halls every week, the creators of the uh, of the app, they'll have town halls every week and they'll ask questions to people to see how they can fix the app more and make it better. It's interesting. And, and in one of those town halls, they talked about recording feature. And I'm thinking about recording some of the clubhouse conversations and repurposing that into content for social media or for my podcast. So there's going to be a synergy between those three, I think. So in the future saying, I think in the next six to 12 months, I think that app is going to be 
there's going to be a lot of people that pop up saying, Hey, let's, uh, let's be agencies that repurpose content from Clubhouse to post on other social media platforms, or um, let's be someone that uh, helps Clubhouse creators uh, get their word out there more. You know, I think it's it's going to be spread alongside of podcasts, but I think the key will always still be trying to get Clubhouse users to other mediums like your podcast, like your website, and or your community like your Facebook group. Yeah, just from from hearing you describe it, it's, it does seem like there's a lot of potential there and, and already a lot of great things happening. And like you were saying, Clubhouse users, maybe even 100% of them are podcast listeners as well. Because uh, I feel like if you're, if you're interested in a platform like Clubhouse, you're probably interested in audio mediums in general. So that's a, a great, again, that barrier to entry is already gone. Mm. It's it'll be interesting to see how the future puts podcasts against Clubhouse, right? Because if Clubhouse becomes widely widely utilized, then what's stopping somebody from being at the gym and just plugging their earphones in and listening to Clubhouse conversations? The only thing that I could see that stop them is that Clubhouse conversations aren't always the most directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're not, and it also involves. Um, and they're not always playing all the time. They're live streamed rather than on demand. So there's an instant gratification part of having a, a podcast. Um, and I think also if they like somebody enough, like a specific host of a room, then they'll find them on another platform like a podcast. So I think that's the synergy between it. But I I don't know where it's going to go in terms of where podcasts are going to be versus where Clubhouse is going to be. Because I don't think Clubhouse would be something for someone that's very busy all the time. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, especially if they're unknown, if they have a personal brand, it's probably great for you, but if they don't already have a personal brand, it probably won't be the, like, you're probably better off starting a podcast than yeah, then because at least it'll be around. It won't just disappear into the air at this point. There's no archive. So that's my view on it, but we'll see. Yeah. It's, it's still such a a new platform. I remember reading something, a a couple, who knows at at this point, what, uh, (laughs) what time means anymore but a couple weeks ago or so of you know it was one of these drastic headlines of will clubhouse kill podcasting and i think there's there's room for both but you never know i mean sometimes sometimes these platforms come over and and really uh really change things and and take out some some other stuff while they're at it so it'll be interesting to see for sure with podcasts like if you think about it you're subscribe to a few shows you're looking for some specific people and that's who you're listening to whereas clubhouse has kind of made it almost uh, like instagram right where it's uh, you're, you're swiping and what event looks good to me uh, what's the title of the event that really stands out to me and who's in the event from what i can see the key players in the event if it's some name that you know already then you'll probably join the room so if you're able to i think build uh a social media following on another platform and then translate that onto clubhouse where you can kind of engage with your community. I think there's a synergy between that. I think there's a synergy between um, getting somebody from clubhouse and having them listen to your podcast because with podcasts, you're doing one-on-one interviews about a specific topic and it's not just um, and it's something that you can just kind of put in and play in the car, play while you're at the gym um, play while you're working, you know, that's, you can't do that while you're doing clubhouse. Um, or really you can't take advantage of it to the fullest degree, you know? Um, 
because it's live streamed. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I really don't know where it would go, but it does show one thing, right? The world is moving towards more audio dominant media. And that is for certain. And soon we'll have series and houses. Soon we'll have Google voice, like in your ceiling, you know, it just, everything's going to be so audio dominant now. And I'd be excited to see how the next 10 years go by with this. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, I feel like we're already seeing some of this. I have a, an echo dot and it turned on in a room where no one was. And I'm just like, does my voice carry all the way upstairs like that? Cause I'm not a, I'm not a fan if that's the case. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see a lot more of it moving forward for sure. I, w- I want to go back a little bit to, uh, podcasting in general, where you're primarily working with businesses in, in helping them create podcasts. Can you talk a little bit about how that differs from an individual wanting to start their own podcast and, and what kind of strategy is needed behind a business starting one? Sure. So one of the biggest things for businesses, and I, this is why I deal specifically with B2B and SaaS, is on a podcast episode, you can actually bring a guest on in the context of a podcast episode and have build a relationship with them over the next 30 minutes, 25 minutes, 45 minutes, however long you decide to make the episode. And then at the end of that episode, you can go for a close. You can close deals through the podcast medium. So it's like setting up meetings and everyone, and I'm sure you know this too, everyone wants to be on a podcast. Like you reach out to people cold emails, cold DMs, whatever. And 99% of the time, they'll be like, oh yes, I'd love to be on the podcast. Even if you're completely unknown as a podcaster. Whereas if you're reaching out to the same people and saying, hey, um, how are you doing? You want to connect over this? Or hey, uh, this is my services. Are you interested? 40, 30% conversion rates on that. 99% of people will hop onto your podcast. If you're really targeted with who you're getting your podcast guests on, you build that relationship with them for 45 minutes. I've had people ask me, hey, without me even going for the close, hey, could could you set up a podcast for us? Or hey, could you make some social media content for us? Or hey, like, you know, trying to convert me as a, or make themselves a client of mine. Um, or if not, then at the end of it, it'd be like, hey, look, um, like for example, a B2B company that let's say uh, sells marketing services to another company, right? At the end, say, hey, like, so at the end of your 45 minute talk, you say, hey, look, I've looked through your social media platforms and stuff and for your business. And like, I just think there's so much you're not utilizing that you could be. You know, and, and this is what I think, blah, 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 blah. Like, would you be interested in my help at all with it? And then you can talk pricing and whatnot later. But it's so easy to build that relationship and convert them into clients. So that's one thing that businesses can do that people that are individual podcasters probably won't lean towards or ever do. You know, like I would never do that on my podcast because I don't sell, unless I start selling coaching services and I decide to bring on somebody that's never been a digital nomad before that's interested in becoming a digital nomad. But that's just not what my show caters to. You know, my show caters to just bring value to my audience. So that's one. So I call, I didn't dub the name, but it's called like content networking. I think that's what it's called. So that's one thing they could do. Number two, how it helps businesses is um, you push the same content. So businesses usually, if they're making over 10K revenue a month, they have an email list of some kind built up, some sort of audience built up, okay? Just from users or just from people that have used their business or anything, they have something built up. Um, they can push the episodes to their email and you'll have you'll start getting a slow enough of an audience on your podcast 
that uh, you can convert those podcast listeners and, and have a warm connection with them because every week they'll start tuning in. Um, but, but like I said, you want to target podcast listeners specifically, right? So uh, people that don't listen to podcasts might start listening to podcasts. People that already listen to podcasts. Uh, one of the other things that I do is I do, I get them on a lot of podcast swaps. So just by having their own podcast to be able to target a subsect of the audience that isn't on other platforms as much. You know, so, so there's that advantage. Um, what else? The content creation from it. So for businesses, it really helps having content on other platforms. So it helps them with the top of funnel. So if audio, one video podcast is literally the easiest way, in my opinion, to repurpose and create content other more than anything else. Right. So it helps them on that regard where their other social media platforms are covered and they have something for top of funnel there so they can get eyeballs and it's their job to engage with people. But the organic reach that they get on that platform, we can then move from the top of the funnel to somewhere further in to maybe their podcast as a medium or maybe their Facebook group or maybe their email list, you know, maybe a lead magnet. You know, so we'll create a social media strategy on the top of the funnel for them that they can utilize and create or the content they can get from their, their podcast. So that's one, one more purpose. And one final purpose here is transcriptions, right? SEO purposes. So um, just on my podcast alone, for example, I've have, I have about nearly 55 episodes out now. And on my website, all I do is post transcriptions and looking at my Alexa page rank, it's higher than most of these websites that have like 40 backlinks and like consistent blog posts, right? I, I've got my, my Alexa page rank is somewhere around the 45,000 mark in the US, which is insane compared to like another website I was checking out, which is a blog. It has about 41 black backlinks the other day. And um, it's got 41 backlinks. And I think I had like a blog post every month or so. Um, they were ranked about 170,000 in the US. You know, so, so transcriptions help immensely with SEO. So businesses that are trying to get ranked higher on Google. Uh, just for simple SEO purposes, the transcription help. So there's a couple of different ways that we tackle um, how to help businesses with our services with the podcast. Nice. Yeah, that's such a great point about about uh, transcribing too. It's it's an easy thing to do, but often overlooked. Exactly, and we take it all off their hands because these guys are really busy, right? They're not. They might not have the budget for a massive marketing team. They might not. Um, yeah, maybe their marketing team is overextended. So we take care of all the editing, transcribing, content repurposing, posting, uh, taking care of the funnel, giving them email templates to push out episodes, all of that. We do all of it for them. Nice. It's, it is pretty amazing when you can give people back time. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're willing to pay for that. And I, I know I certainly am as well. And I'm like, if you can help me take off this thing that I, I don't really like doing, I, and it's still helping me and, and my business, like, yes, count me in for that. Absolutely. We do have plans on scaling to just offering services as well to podcasters that already just with our editing, transcribing, you know, standard suite of services there, content repurposing, which we can do as well. Um, but we don't, we're not talking to podcasters just yet. I think that's a little bit further down the road. Nice. Nice. And one other thing that I, I just heard about this week from uh, someone in, uh, we, we had been talking before about private and kind of internal um, communications podcasting where you might just make a podcast for your employees uh, or for people in a smaller network. And they were saying that an added benefit that I had never even thought of before, case studies. You can have your current clients on as a guest 
And what they say on a podcast is public domain. So you're able to, yeah, you're able to to pull from that and be like, hey, look what client X said about us and, and use that in your outreach. Whereas if you were trying to put out a press release or a case study, sometimes they're like, mm, I don't, I don't think we can talk about that. Like we, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, everyone wants to be on a podcast. So it's a, a great way to, to get that word of mouth without having to go through like eight or nine pieces of red tape. It's essentially reframing the, everything that's like testimonials, um, retention sales is framing all of that in the context of giving value to an audience on a podcast. Whereas people will be turned off by it on your website or something, or, Hey, this is another product for me to buy in the terms of, in the context of a podcast, you're giving value to your audience, but at the same time, interviewing people that are in their ears saying, Hey, this product is good. Or, um, here's another way that you could use it, right? Uh, This is something we would do quite quite often for our clients with subscription models, whether it's service-based or something else, retention, right? We get their current clients onto the podcast, help them build that relationship with them and retention rates increase from 20 to 50% sometimes of that client staying on board longer. On the flip side, you have an audience that's listening to this person on the podcast, so serves as a testimonial, uh, the retention rates are higher with that specific person and uh, your audience member might be able to relate to that specific person and maybe curious about the services of the business as well. So there's so many different angles to hit it from. Yeah. It's so, it's just so, so many options out there, like you're saying, and talking more from the business side of things, I was like asking this, what's something that surprised you about running a business? I, I think it, it, this applies specifically to digital businesses. Something that surprised me was how, the, the resources that are so available to us across social media, email, website, all of these, how easy it is to actually create a business model from just purely digital resources. Because my entire life, I was brought up thinking that brick and mortar businesses are the way to go or, um, you know, like manufacturing or, I mean, all these different industries, but I never realized how you could create an entire business just through your laptop and then uh, have it in such a way that it can even scale and, and, you know, and offers and there's digital services and stuff. So there's an entire industry behind the, the laptop. And it, I think that's what surprised me about digital businesses. Now business itself, it's a, it's a process. And that's really what I realized. It's, it's businesses process based and, at first, when you're starting business, you are just trying to wing it, you know, and seeing what works, what doesn't at different points. And I'm sure everyone's been there just like kind of drifting their way through, not knowing what they're doing. But then you realize that as you push the process and the systems in place and you start to figure out the pipeline of your business and how to remove bottlenecks from the correct places and how to tune the business model up to become more streamlined as you streamline that process uh, equivocally your revenue goes up um, and you spend less time on it and you automate it and it's didn't realize how process dependent a business really is until I really dove in and I had and worked on my business a lot you know um, it's, if you get down the, the better you get down the process, the better you get down the system of the business, uh, the more revenue you'll make, the happier you'll be, the better the business will do. 
you know, and, and people, business owners tend to, I've seen this a lot in brick and mortar businesses, right? They just, there's so many variables that they tend to just, oh, it's working. So let it keep working. I'm not really going to try to improve it in any way. But you've got to look at every single part of the system from the beginning to the end. Once you get to a certain revenue point and start removing bottlenecks and streamlining things. And that's, that's what's something big that I realized process. Have you found, and, and maybe you kind of touched on this with the, oh, it's working fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to mess with it, but have you found kind of consistent bottlenecks in this process when you're reviewing uh, for, for businesses? Definitely. I, I think there's always bottlenecks to be removed. Right. I, I don't know where the end is, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, you can streamline, you can streamline it as much as you possibly want. And then you've got to scale at some point and you can always scale bigger. Right. Um, so there's no end to the scale of where you can take a business. So it's, it's, it's like a, a fine tune between scaling and then removing the bottlenecks and fine tune and scale and remove the bottlenecks. Something that I, I've heard is it's just better to scale to like seven figures first before you start removing bottlenecks. But uh, I think because I have a more system process based personality, not structured, just more systemic, um, that I like to remove bottlenecks along the way so that it streamlines it because I don't want to scale massively. I don't want to become a corporation where it sucks my life away. You know, I just want to become happy with the amount that I'm making and be able to travel and stuff. Um, so yes, I can easily, at least at this point, um, like for example, I was working a day job for a while and there were so many bottlenecks in their system, what they were doing. There's so much, and they were so like, Hey, I just want to be hands off. Like I have a family and I just don't want to be that involved in the business that they never took the time to actually remove those bottlenecks. Um, but then again, they have a family and I'm single, right? So I could be like, Oh yeah, like, uh, I, it's easy to remove this bottleneck. Just do this, just do that. Um, but yeah, I can easily see the bottlenecks in other businesses as well as my own, you know, and removing a bottleneck takes time, takes resources, takes, takes money, you know, and you might not always have that on, on hand, you know, um, but at the very least it takes time and people are always trying to save time and streamline themselves. And, uh, just even removing bottlenecks from my own business, it's a matter of doing it enough first to see where the bottleneck is exactly to pinpoint it. And then it's, what do I need to do to remove it? How much time is it going to take me? Is it worth removing right now at this very moment? Or should I do it later on? Is it significantly impacting my business if it isn't? Um, and one thing you notice is that a lot of people, including myself, wait till the last minute to really remove that bottleneck where it becomes from a bottleneck to like a freaking splinter in, <laughs> in the side of your business, you know? So um, it's, it's, there's a lot of costs benefit and analysis that you really have to do at different points of your business's life. Um, but don't become complacent. That's the main thing, right? Because the moment you become complacent, you can become blindsided by one of these bottlenecks and your entire process falls apart. So you mentioned getting time back and, and how removing some of these can give you some time. And it made me think of, all the ways that I waste time during a day. And so I'm curious, what's your favorite time waster? My favorite time waster? Yes. Um, I am a sucker for movies, one. Uh, I love being with friends, even though I, I haven't seen some in a while, um, probably since New Year's actually. But social life dies a little bit whenever you have a business. 
but that's a trade I'm definitely willing to make. Um, yeah, I love that. I love walks. I love walks. I don't know why, but I just love like going around outside somewhere near the ocean and doing that. Travel, I wouldn't call that a time waster though. It's kind of like, how do you define a time waster? Well, for, for me, my first thought was playing the game Among Us, uh, which has, has taken over uh, a few lives of my friends. And every time I play, I, I'll, I'll say out loud, I'm like, all right, I'll just do a couple rounds. It'll be like 30, 45 minutes. And then it's like two hours later. And TikTok. I mean, it's me. fun. Yeah. Yeah. TikTok for your nice. Like you're still having fun with it, but then you look at the clock and you're like, oh no. <laughs> yep massive man they are it's i mean it's not a bad thing right it's mm. helping you relax yeah so i think there's a purpose even behind time waster you know uh definitely used to do it more maybe about a year ago than i have now i've tried streamlining my entire life you know there's just there's this uh, quote that i have on, on the board behind me it says self-discipline equals freedom and i'm always trying to to coming from somebody that was probably the most undisciplined person in the world two years ago to where I am now is just a feat in its own. But I'm always constantly trying to push towards self-discipline. And that is little things like not buying junk food and leaving it in my house so that I can binge on it or um, putting TikTok away on the deep recesses of my phone so that I don't have to look <laughs> at it, you know, or, uh, you know, like things like that, just, and keeping that quote on my board, just keep it in mind. So I try not to, I try these time wasters. I try to keep them in a way where they're actually benefiting me, like helping me relax or whatever else. Nice. Yeah. And I, I think a walk is, I'm, I'm a huge fan of walks as well. I think they're, they're a great way to clear your head, get fresh air, get exercise. I had a guest on that said she wrote an entire book while walking. She would just leave voice memos to herself and then went through and like translated in and I was like, that's, that's fantastic. I, I often listen to podcasts while I'm on a walk. I, I have noticed if I'm, if I'm out wearing a mask because of uh, the pandemic still going on, it's, I get less uh, crazy eyed stares from people because if I'm laughing, it's under the mask and they can't tell. Uh, whereas prior to that, I'd be <laughs> cackling uh, to myself with, with no context going on. So people are just like, that guy's a looney tune. Um, <laughs> now you've you've talked about how you love to travel and you're you're doing this so that you can have a happy life can travel can can see the different spots of the world so i always like to wrap up with the top three and i'm gonna let you choose your own adventure you can either do your top three places you've traveled to or your top three places that you haven't been to yet that are on your list thank um okay so just those two i kind of want to do both but do i'll bo do, do both I'll do both. We'll make it a top yeah. six. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, top three places I have been. Number one, uh, in my, I love this place, Sydney, Australia. Just love that place. It's a perfect mix between city life and beach life um, with a, a small different areas like towns almost that you can explore. So if you want the right vibe of having a nice homey place that is really busy, you have that there. If you want this nice beach vibe of just like beach bums chilling at the beach all day you have that if you want a luxurious vibe of just being at a house a mansion at the end of a cliff watching the sunset right across the ocean you have that like it has everything that i want from a place so that's what i love sydney plus i think australian women are some of the most beautiful women in the world so that always helps 
Um, Sydney. So number two, uh, the top places I've been is another one. Actually, no, Lake Wanaka in New Zealand. So Lake Wanaka is probably the most beautiful lake I've ever seen. And uh, it has, it's a very like ski snowboarding town. Uh, but what's great about it is this, and I actually got it tattooed on my on my arm. Ooh. It's just, yeah, it's a beautiful lake, and it's glaciers, mountainous glaciers everywhere, and uh, I don't know, it just looks so picturesque, like something you'd find in Google Images. And uh, there's little ski lodges and bars across where the lakes are, and you can just go in there and look out the window, and you see this just picturesque place. It's beautiful. Um, so number two. And number three, I would say, to be honest, um, it'd be in Montana. It's along um, where the, not Montana, it was uh, near Yellowstone. It was just the Grand Tetons, I think somewhere around there. there. There was this place that I went to. It's not an exact place, but that entire area is really, really beautiful. But um so I had a trip with my school maybe about four years ago. It was for a capstone project when we were graduating. And uh, we took a trip up for six weeks to Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. That That's part of the U.S. And just how much beauty there was there everywhere, like mountains, rivers. Uh, Yellowstone was amazing. Um, that The entire area that you would – and no one ever talks about going to Montana, right? Just like it's such an out there place, like – um, no one talks about it. So I, I was so pleasantly surprised going there, like going down the roads and seeing a hundred buffaloes crossing the road or, um, you know, so those, those are the three, I would say my favorite places on the planet so far. Now there's so much more for me to explore, right? So three places that I would choose to go. Um, one massive one on the list that I have is Bali. And that's because of how cheap it is. And there's a lot of other digital nomads there. And because um, there's a spiritual, spiritual side of it that I do want to check out just out of my own curiosity. That's one. Number two, I want to go to Eastern Europe, uh, either probably, um, Budapest is what I would think. So I want to check out Budapest and I want to check out Switzerland. Yeah, because of how amazing it looks. Like one of my favorite things to do just to kind of, actually, this is a time waster, like you said. I'll go on YouTube and I'll search up Switzerland 4K and they'll have like a drone shot of just flying through mountains and rivers and so beautiful. Check it out. I like that. Yeah, that seems like a nice uh, picturesque time waster. I'm all about it. All, All three of those are on my list as well. My sister honeymooned in Bali and I, I am jealous based off everything she Not, said. Well, where do you want to go? I, Switzerland is definitely on the list. I, I am. This is more so, again, for like the curiosity of the homeland. I'm Polish and German. So I somehow have not been to either country, Poland or Germany, despite traveling quite a bit throughout Europe. Haven't made it to the homeland in either way. Uh, so I'd like to check those out. Uh, I've also, I would like to go well, I mean, I guess I've been there. I've been to Australia and New Zealand, but I haven't been as an adult. So I kind of consider it mm. like, a, you know, I'd like to go back there. Uh, and then I also have uh, two United States centrist lists of visiting every state 
and then visiting every uh, Major League Baseball stadium because I think those are are very uh, very nice like snapshots of a, a city's sort of fan base. Which who knows when we'll get back to seeing live sports uh, in a right. you know a capacity like we're used to. But I think it's always so entertaining. I always have such a good time, even if the team is terrible. I have like no rooting interest in really any of these teams. I grew up in Chicago, so. Uh, Cubs fan at heart, although their ownership group seems to just progressively be wanting to alienate all their fans. So I'll also root for the White Sox, which I know is <laughs> blasphemy to some uh, some Chicago fans, but whatever. Uh, but it's just like it's it's so cool to see where in the city it is too. Like, is it right in the heart of downtown? Is it like out in the outskirts? Uh, can you just like you know casually walk in, or is it like a whole event of there's a, there's a huge you know like twelve acres that's probably still too small like a huge hundreds of acres of land just for the stadium um i think that's such a cool thing to do montana is one of the states i haven't been to though so that's that's also on the list what changes like with location for baseball stadiums like if it's more open versus if it's in the heart of the city i think i it's my favorite one i've been to actually it's a toss-up between i formerly at&t park Maybe it's currently AT&T Park. The names, the one, the Giants, where the San Francisco Giants play. Uh, and then uh, Coors Field with the Rockies. Both of those just because of how picturesque they are. Uh, Coors Field is like right in the heart of downtown. So if you look to one side, you see downtown. But if you look out like over the the outfield fence, it's just the gorgeous Rocky Mountains in the background. And the oh, yeah. game I saw Great there, had, yeah, it's it's... Uh, ended just you know as like dusk was setting so it was just such a a gorgeous backdrop there uh, and i think you you get a little more of that when it's kind of um well no i'm gonna because of course chris field is downtown so it's you don't necessarily need to travel out of there for it um but i think it's just like it's interesting to see is this more of an event versus you know if you were going to dodger stadium that's like pretty far outside of of downtown LA it's pretty much you're going to a Dodgers game whereas Coors Field you might just be walking by you might have just you know ate at a restaurant then it's like hey I'm I'm gonna catch a game right now let me walk on in Uh, and so it's it's a nice little uh, way to see you know how are how are the sports fans here uh, enjoying Mm -hmm. their time and everything but I which 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 cities have you found like the most uh, dedicated sports fans that really enjoying watching their games i mean every every city has like their own dedicated group of sports fans but like in terms of the atmosphere like you said one's kind of almost like a walk-in while the other's like a whole event which yeah. ones have you seen um, i think i mean like- cubs fans are are obviously like just hugely passionate about the team i i have been i know i have been to a cubs game after they won the world series i was gonna say when they were the lovable losers before it was a you know a, a little less optimistic but still you know still out supporting the team i was kind of surprised uh the mets i went to new york two years ago the yankees uh, i saw a yankees red sox game and i actually got to sit next to a family of red sox fans uh which i i got to witness a boston argument up close which was just so <laughs> so delightful to see uh the yankees clobbered the red sox but they were still talking trash and everything so i thought that was great um, the Mets, and and this also might have been because where uh, the seats were, they were playing the Marlins, who I believe in 2019, they were the two worst teams in the their division. And so 
Uh, we got seats in the front row in the outfield for, I think it was $25 total between two tickets. And it was just like such a, you know, they, they knew their team wasn't going anywhere for the season. This was already in like August or September. So they, uh, the, the chances of them making the postseason were pretty slim, but everyone was just having a great time. Like they were doing all these things on the jumbotron, just like I, fun little you know like trivia like the person who who you know they'll pluck someone out of the crowd to answer like three questions he was in the section right next to us so we're all like waving at him like this is the answer this is the answer so <laughs> it was just kind of like a more casual laid-back atmosphere uh and right. a, a buddy of mine actually ended up like babysitting a child for several innings <laughs> because he i i let him know like hey we're in new york he had just moved there he's like yeah i'll come i'll come check out the game too it was his first time going to a mets game and some random kid just say, sat next to him. It was maybe like seven or eight. And they're just, he just starts talking to my friend and they have a conversation about baseball for like four innings. And then finally the parents come up and they're like, all right, it's time to go and like grab the kid away. And he was like, well, I, you're <laughs> that welcome. Kid's super passionate about baseball. Oh, he loved it. I was like, they're dropping, you know, names from like the nineties and two thousands that I had totally forgotten about. And I'm like, you guys are, in your own world i baseball is certainly not my favorite sport but i think going to a baseball game is my favorite sporting event to attend right uh, i think there's just a different subsect of fans in there uh, who are really passionate about what their sport is as opposed to and because i would say like it's it's american history right mm-hmm. if you think of like american sports i would say the most american sport that's been around the longest i would say is baseball Absolutely. correct and me if i'm wrong there, but that's too. what i <laughs> In the South, it's football in the South, but um, I think nationwide, it'd be baseball. Yeah, and I think there's a nice, a, a lot of football stadiums now, you know, it's like 80, 100,000 people. And that's just a, it's a little less personal of a feeling, whereas all these baseball stadiums are still kind of in the fifteen to 25,000 uh, seating capacity. So you you do kind of get you know a little a little closer feel with everything and you can you can be feel like less of a crowd yeah you can also be like right next to the field whereas even if you're in a front row at a football stadium there's still like quite a bit of distance between you and even the sideline let alone like onto the field um unless you make sense have gotten a pass yeah. i always enjoyed this in college i'd get to because I, I study broadcast journalism so sometimes i'd get a pass to like go down on the field and I'm like standing right on the sideline. I was like, if I took one step out, I'd be on the field right now. That's kind of cool. I would be terrified, <laughs> of course. There's like huge athletic men about to run me over. But right. what a time. Makes what a sense. time. <laughs> <laughs> well, a fantastic list. And I look forward to seeing pictures and hearing stories after you have attended all of these places on your list. Omar, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. If people want to learn more about you, want to learn Hey, like they've got a business, they want to start a podcast. Where can they find you? Uh, feel free to reach out to me. I think these days, I think the most common place that you can find me is Nomadables on Instagram. If you just shoot me a DM there, if you really want to get in touch, um, you can also find me on nomadables.com, which is where my podcast is based around its remote work and digital nomads, online business, marketing, all that space. Um, those are the two places that you can find me there uh, release weekly episodes and if you want to know more about my podcasting agency uh, just shoot me a message on nomadables on instagram or email me at omar at nomadables.com that'd be the best place perfect good deal all right you're officially off the hook (laughs) thanks for having me joey absolutely
absolutely. And of course, we've got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. And I even made it a little, uh, a little digital marketing focus. Why do cab drivers make such great content marketers? Why? <laughs> they can really drive in traffic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> nice.